Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Hey, it's so, uh, I'm so happy that you're all here. My name's Chris. I'm the senior leader here at Harvest Valley Worship Center. And today is a special day. Um, Anna Lee is going to be bringing the word, which we're excited about. She's in her licensing process. Um, along with Paul, and Paul preached a couple of weeks ago on character and knocked it out of the park, and of course, we've had Micah preach in this series. We're doing our series on culture and values, but one thing that I felt the Spirit really pressed me that I need to deal with a common um, issue in the church that really seems to rise up a lot here in North Idaho is the concept of women in ministry, and is this okay biblically, right? So let me just handle this real quickly. There it is. There it is. But for the, but f- just, to, just to put it on tape, okay, so, so people, people know. Um, we're, we're members of the Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee. We've been uh, proud to be part of that denomination. They are a Pentecostal, Southern Pentecostal denomination born in the Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee. Uh, people who got kicked, experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit were speaking in tongues and go... They go, this doesn't match my Methodist and Baptist upbringing. But we know that the Lord is doing something. And they gathered together and they, they had an assembly. And, and uh, about they had, I think, 20 people at the first assembly saying, what should we do? Should we do something with this? It was over 100 years ago. And um, on, at their second assembly, they said, you know, we have to, if we're going to be like the New Testament, we have to uh, license women to preach. If we're going to be like the New Testament, which if the New Testament is the rule for how the church should operate, we actually have to empower women to preach. And that's been in our foundation as a movement. Um, And there's lots of challenges to that because, um, well, I'll get into it. Are you guys ready? I'm going to make it quick because Annalie's got a good word today. Um, Peter declares in his first sermon, he, he repeats the prophecy from Joel and, and he says this in Acts 2, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Say all flesh. Amen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, both male and female, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Then... Um, You know, we believe that we are in the season of God bringing to fulfillment the restoration of what we call garden living. He's restoring things back to the way that he created it in the garden. And what's really interesting about this is at the fall, before the fall, there was no hierarchy between men and women. None. None. In fact, it is at the fall. It is when God curses humanity that he says that the husband's going to be over the wife. Okay, so now everybody's starting to twitch. It's good. (laughs) At the fall, the equality found in the garden was lost, and the first mention of men being over women in authority is in God's curse on humanity as a result of sin. Jesus himself revolutionized the role of women in his day. He paints a clear picture of equality in his treatment of men and women. 
I am not doing a thorough work of every scripture today. Know that, okay? But we can if you want. I'm happy to, to wrestle anything on this. Um, I have a firm foundation. We have some difficult passages in the scriptures that must be treated properly with a hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is a contextual study, right, based on the context um, the, of the author, the speaker, the audience, the culture, all of that. That has to match the culture of its day, not our day. It's got to match the culture of its day with its teaching while bringing clarity to the practices of today's church. I am not here for that sake today, but want to show that our practice matches those of the apostles and the early church. Um, after the day of Pentecost, women took on unique prominence in comparison to the surrounding culture. And in fact, in the second century, Christianity was known as the women's religion because it was run by women. All right. You, all right. Okay. <laughs> Just saying, chew, chew on it. All right. <laughs> um, describing the way God has equipped the church for leadership and ministry, the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the, of the fullness of Christ. Here we have five distinct leadership roles that make up the church's holistic leadership. Now, on the pages of the New Testament, we have clear evidence that women served alongside men as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There are no clear indicators that these roles were restricted on the basis of gender. Now, let me list a few examples. Prophets. Philip's four daughters are named prophets and minister to the apostle Paul himself in Acts 21, 8 through 9. Later, Paul offers instruction to women actively prophesying in the church in 1 Corinthians 11. In evangelists, Yodia and Syntyche were leaders in the Philippian church and described as contenders for the gospel who worked along, alongside Paul in Philippians 4.3. Additionally, there are a number of women, let me name some, Nympha, Chloe, and Lydia that are sent out by the Apostle Paul to various Greco-Roman cities to plant churches. Women sent to plant churches. That means that they, they actually had to be evangelists and pastor and teach all of it. Now, this is obviously an evangel evangelistic endeavor. Right? Pastors and teachers. Priscilla with Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla's name is listed first in the account where she and Aquila, her husband, when they're mentioned together in Romans, it talks about them being tent makers and it's Aquila and Priscilla. But when it talks about, because the priority of who came first was who was actually the better person at it and who, who was the right person for it. And so when it talks about teaching Apollos, it says Priscilla and Aquila taught Paul, Apollos. So it's a very interesting thing to note there. Shows that she had the primary role of the teacher further educating and sharpening the biblical exposition of a fellow teacher in Apollos. Phoebe is listed as the letter carrier for Paul's letter to the church at Rome in Romans 16. 
a role that was commended also to Epaphroditus, and it was also commended to Tychicus, however you say his name, in other Pauline letters. Now, Paul, he, he applauds, he celebrates the character of the letter carriers, those who carried the letters, because that role implied that they would be explaining between the lines of what Paul wrote. They would actually be the teacher who came with the letter to teach and explain the detail of what Paul wrote to the church. And he sends Phoebe, a woman, to be the teacher over the church of Rome. Apostles. The letter to the Roman Romans uh, stands out particularly because in it, Paul personally greets almost as many women as men, and the majority of those women, five of the nine that he names, he greets as ministry colleagues, as co-workers in Romans 16. Most notable among these women is Junia because she receives the highest marks, outstanding among the apostles. No early manuscripts list Junia as Junius, which is you might find in your King James Version. That was changed in the 5th century. There had never even been heard the name Junius until the 5th century. In every early manuscript, it is a female named Junia. The biblical story is one of the recovery of all that was lost in the fall the restoration of Eden, and the renewal of all things. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. God's priority is the renewal of all things, and the close of the biblical narrative is the restoration of God's created order. What was present in the first two chapters of Genesis is restored in the final two chapters of Revelation. There was no hierarchy in the roles of male and female in Eden, and neither is there one in Revelation's Garden City. The aim of the biblical narrative of which the church is a living preview is one of partnership, men and women co-laboring as God's equally empowered image bearers. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I, yeah, there's some, there's some um, tough scriptures, but they're actually really easy when, when we have a proper hermeneutic, and unfortunately, there's a lot of teachers that, that will make a lot of arguments to maintain their hierarchy instead of see it from an actual New Testament practice and have to, have to look at how do, we, how do we understand what they were doing and what does he actually mean in 2 Timothy 2? What is he actually talking about in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? What, what is he saying here? And so we, we, it, it takes a little bit of time. I might do a series on this if you guys are up for it. Um, might be fun to do at some point. But um, we, we have um, rejected that women cannot teach, preach, or hold license. Um, we believe that God has filled them with the Spirit and that women must be empowered to lead. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for powerful women of God who have been rising up in this generation. We thank you that men are called to be warriors. They're called to protect. They're called to lead. They're called into places of, of great strength. And I thank you for that, that, that female counterpart that has wisdom and counsel that is able to nurture and care in ways that men just aren't able to. And God, I thank you that you have brought together two parts of yourself and made them one 
in marriage. And I thank you, God, that, that you likened the marriage to you in the church, that we get to bring our full self, no matter what gender, we get to bring our full self to you and you complete us. And we are so grateful for that, God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now with that, I want you all to stand and give a warm welcome to Anna Lee Easley. Thank you, Pastor. Boy, what an introduction. <laughs> um, hello. In case you haven't noticed, I, I am very excellently supported here. Um, and just for the record, Christ called me, and he qualifies me, and I have nothing to prove. Nothing. I'm here offering myself up to be used as, as he sees fit and as he moves me, and I rejoice in the opportunity to partner with my Lord, with my King. Amen. So today, I am um, so excited to talk with you about one of our cultural keys, which is intimacy, and we define it as vulnerability in deep relationships. So that word intimacy, not one that a lot of us are super comfortable with, or vulnerability for that matter. It's, it's really nice to just kind of skip along the surface for most of the time. Um, but if we're going to be real today, and I want to be real today, vulnerability and intimacy is hard. I struggle with it. I am built to share, to stand up here, to be up there, and to be vulnerable in lots of ways. But I'm talking about when we're nudged and drawn by the Holy Spirit or by the Lord or by a good friend to be real with each other, to be honest in the moment, to share that thing that we've held really close because we struggle with it and we're not sure it'll happen if we say something. But we live the rule here that we love each other and there's nothing the other person can do about it. Because my love for every one of you has nothing to do with your behavior. Amen. Zero. Come on. Because Christ said, love one another as I have loved you. That's my mandate. I'm free to love regardless. Doesn't mean I can't have healthy boundaries. We'll talk a little bit about that. But Jesus said love, and he empowers me to love, and so I love. Jesus said, and this is bonus. You're welcome. I keep picturing the Last Supper. You know, we have that great Western tradition picture with the table and all of them sitting on one side of it. It was actually more likely a big square table low to the ground, and there were couches essentially big, like, flat mattress-type beds on four sides of the table, and they laid on their sides like sardines at the table. And so when, when you know, we talk about the disciple that leans against Jesus' breast, they were almost spooning at dinner. <laughs> like, there's a level of physical intimacy in New Testament times that is so foreign to us, arm's length, and now six feet apart. Some people still do that, like social distancing North Americans. <laughs> but it's, just kind of keep that in mind that, you know how sometimes you can have dreams or the Lord's telling you something and he uses symbolism that you don't really want to talk about. 
for whatever reason. He, he wants to get his point across. And he wants to draw us closer. He wants to draw us closer. So, um, let me pray real quick, and we'll get into this. Father, I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are such a good dad and that we can trust you. And God, I pray that my words today are your words. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take everything I say. Well, first, <laughs> motivate everything I say. Guide my words, Lord, fill my mouth and carry these words into the hearts of those who need to hear them. I pray that bondage will be broken, minds will be renewed, and that hearts will be set free, and that good fruit will come from today in Jesus' name, because it's all yours, Lord. I offer this to you in Jesus' name. So, yeah, amen. The story of man and God is at the heart and the root and the overarching narrative. It's a story about intimacy and the Father's relentless pursuit of it. Because everything, is is, everything God has done from the first spark of creation to the breath you're breathing right now, everything he's done has been about wanting to be close to us. I mean, to the point where he sent his son, his only son, so that he wasn't, wouldn't be separated from us forever. So scripture is awesome because it highlights all these people who drew near to God, who met God's longing for us yeah, with their own longing for him. Yeah, right? And scripture is full of all of these really, really rich and beautiful moments that show us, guide us. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, y'all read the Bible, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about, but I'm going to share some of them today. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is the truth. Yeah, come on. If you draw near to God, he's not going to draw away from you. If you take a step closer, he's not going to go, that wasn't big enough, come on. I mean, he might tease you. He does that sometimes, joke around in a, in a, in a way, if, if that's how you need to hear him. But he's not going to be this authoritarian, like, mm, you need to suffer a little longer, God. That's not who we serve. Matthew 7, 9, or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Right. If you pray to the Lord of hosts and ask him for an answer, he answers. And he answers with good things. Every time. Proverbs 8, 17, those who seek me diligently will find me. They will. They will. If you seek him, you'll find him. And this is one of my favorites, Psalm, Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I'm God. That word know is experience. It's not quiet yourself and you'll get this really cool little idea of who God is or a new little tidbit, which that happens. Yeah. But the promise here is when you quiet yourself, you will experience who God is. Come on. It's a holistic thing. It's not this little, like, you know, drop a little intellectual idea in your head. It's an experiential thing. So I am the first, at least today, to admit that not everything in the Old Testament necessarily makes a person want to go, yeah, that's a God I want to be close to. <laughs> but we know this. Um, and we know this from a reference I didn't write down. If you want it, I can get it for you. But Jesus said that he only does 
He only did what he saw the Father do, and he only said what he heard the Father say. So the life of Christ is the full revelation of who God the Father is. That's where we look. That's how we get to know who he is. There's a lot in the Old Testament I cannot explain. But one thing I can tell you, Jesus Christ is the full revelation of the Father, and I know I can trust that. Not my own interpretation or my own judgment on what the events that I see unfold in the Old Testament, right? Okay, so. I am so excited about this today. <laughs> take a minute and take a deep breath. Come on. A lot of what I'm sharing today, most of what I've already shared today, God has worked out in me one bit at a time over so many years. Coming, coming from a place where I thought I had to earn it, where I thought I had to get it all right, where I thought I had to know enough about God to comprehend him enough to be saved. That was where I came from. And so when I say he's good and you can trust him, like I hit rock bottom and I had to decide to trust and know that he was good. And that was the only thing, like Paul said, I, I profess to know nothing but Christ and him crucified that season, I was like, God, you're good. That is all I'm going to hold on to. That's all I'm going to stand on. Everything else you got to show me because it's not working. I wasn't seeing the fruit. Okay. Oh, I love God. He's just so good. So the life of Jesus is such an incredible testament to me of how much we can trust the Father. And... Uh, I've, as I was preparing this message, a memory came to mind where when my oldest, who was playing the electric guitar up here this morning, when he was a newborn, I mean little, weeks old, um, I was sitting with him on my bed and he was propped up on my knees asleep. One of the rare times that he slept at night. I couldn't sleep. I was, but, so he was, he was asleep and I'll never forget him just laying there in my lap, sleeping, and I was so overcome with how much I love this tiny little person. Overwhelmed. I mean, I love my husband, have, always will, with everything in me. But when my oldest son was born, a new capacity to love opened up in me that I didn't know existed. And I'm not saying that that exact thing happened to God, because he is love, Right? But I remember watching that tiny baby. I'd never seen, this is a new human I'd never seen before. And he belonged to me. And I watched his face to see who he looked like, to see what his smile was like. You know, as he grew, I watched. And I, I imagine that the father watched Jesus when he was a tiny baby. Whose eyes did he have? Whose smile did he have? When he was a little kid running around, whose laugh did he have? In what ways did he look like Mary? In what ways did he look like his daddy? When he became a young man, did the father watch him and go, oh, he walks like me? Yeah. Not trying to be heretical, just trying to get a little bit of a grasp on what the father sacrificed. Because Papa knew. Papa knew what he was sending his son into. He knew. And he did it because it couldn't, he did that because he couldn't do anything, like he couldn't, do anything else because he had to have us back. He had to have us back. I feel the same way about my kids. I would go to any ends 
to reclaim them if I lost them. So, Paul, do you have the the tablet with you? I'm about to blow my nose, so I'd like you to. Thank you. We have such a fantastic sound man. Um, he and I have had such a ball in this um, credentialing process that we're in with the Church of God. It's such a, he's just such an awesome man of God. Okay, so. <laughs> Bill Johnson puts it so well. Royalty is my identity. We're children of the king. Servanthood is my assignment, right? But intimacy with God is my life source. Bring it back around to intimacy. Intimacy is our life source. He is the the fountain of everlasting life springing up within us. He's the living water, right? Jesus said, I have food you know not of. And the disciples are like, we went to go get food. Jesus is like, I'm fine. Let's, Let's go do this. And they're like, don't you need to eat? He says, no, I have food you know not of. Intimacy with the Father is Jesus' life source. So, I go on to intimacy with others. This is, this is where a lot of us get real antsy. I mean, we can struggle enough with intimacy with the Lord, right? Because that, that takes some guts, especially if we've had experiences with church or church people or in prayer or whatever. Intimacy with God can be rough to step in to be brave, but intimacy with others, whole nother level here. So why do we even need to do this? Why? Why do we need to love each other? Why do we need to build relationships that are vulnerable with each other? That's a good question. Let's talk about it. <laughs> because you guys remember what Jesus prayed in the garden? Well, yes, he did pray about the cup, but the thing right now, that, right now that really stands out to me is in John 17, 20 and 21, 11 and 20 and 21, he prayed, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. That we can be one with each other, unified and built and with strong relationships like the Trinity. Just let that settle in for a second. The first time I read that and that occurred to me, I was like, oh boy, that's, that's pretty, I, that takes supernatural empowerment right there, right? And then he said in 2021, I do not pray for these alone that are were around him then, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. We're invited into the unity of the Trinity as believers, the unity of the Godhead. It's not something where we worship and we stay afar off. You know, we lift our praise and we pray and we... No, he's like, come here. Into who he is, into his presence, into nothing held back. So... Our relationship with others are the training ground for our relationship with God. 
right now, we get to decide how much we open up and when. We get to be led by the Lord in those things. I'm super grateful for that because it means that while it's challenging, stretches our faith, requires us to grow, it's a gradual process. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder if, and I know this isn't strictly theologically correct, but sometimes I wonder if hell might be living in that kind of full revelation, that full level of vulnerability without having been prepared for it. Make the dreams of, you know, when you have a dream where you're standing up giving an oral report in high school and you realize you're in your underwear. Make those dreams seem like nothing. (laughs) Suddenly you're in heaven. You're known as you, you are known completely without any, any boundaries, any, any way to protect yourself. Like you're just there and everybody sees all of it. It is good in heaven. Um, Anyway, okay, that was a total rabbit trail. You're welcome. So, another reason these relationships are so important is that they're a training ground. Well, I just said they're a training ground. Um, But, like, they're boot camp here. We need each other. We're so good. Getting ahead of myself here. So, one of the hallmarks of a believer's life, we don't just go with whatever, We don't just go with our emotions. We don't just go with our appetites, right? We bring everything into submission of Christ. We pull down everything that rises up against the knowledge of Christ. We we discipline ourselves, our souls, our bodies, our minds, so that we can become more like him. And we're also really good at not seeing stuff. We can believe we're these honest and, and loving and kind people and then be totally shocked when something comes out of our mouth and we're like, that was a lie. How did that happen? You know, or we can think we're, we're these self-sacrifice, we're such a self-sacrificing person. And then someone can point out and go, hey, did you notice this thing over here? And you'd be like, no, I didn't actually. I mean, we're so good at, at having a self-concept that shields us from seeing our own weakness. And so we've got to have relationships where people see us, where they're accountable, where we're accountable. Um, there's an Eastern legend that tells of a holy man that lived up on a mountainside. I like to imagine the super steep, crazy steep mountains like in Tibet or Korea. Korea has some wild geography. And uh, the people in the village that lived down below kept asking him to come down to the village and live with him so that they could learn from him, so that they could become holy and, and benefit from all of the discipline, everything that he'd learned about God. He kept telling him, no, no, no. Finally, the whole village goes up the mountainside to ask him, just come visit. Just come down for a little while so you can teach us. And finally, he's like, okay. So he's coming down the mountainside with him, and an elderly widow stumbles into him, knocks him to the ground, and then she falls down. He gets up, brushes himself off, curses her, curses all of the villagers, turns around and hikes back up to his mountain. Right? He found out in that training ground that instead of being a holy man, he was just a really, really good backcountry hiker that thought he was holy. <laughs> right? And so when push came to shove, what did he do? He booked it out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? 
<laughs> living in the mountains, we can totally understand this. Living in the relational vacuum of solitude, he didn't know what would happen if somebody bumped into him, if he skinned his knee because somebody upset him on the road, right? Maybe he, should, he, he didn't even know the woman might have needed help. Maybe he could have been holding her arm going down the mountain. So the Bible says it this way. I'll get back to that. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So without the crucible of human relationships, we're not exposed to the heat required to bring the dross to the surface so it can be discarded. And I found it interesting in this verse. Oops. You can't love your brother if you've never seen him. Never talked to him. And if you've never seen him, you'll never have run-ins with him. Like the holy man had a run-in with the old lady. Like these are things that develop love in us. So... Outside of an orphanage, it's kind of famous. It's called the Boys Town Orphanage. The city escapes me, forgive me. There's a statue that many of, us, many of us have heard about of a teenage boy carrying his little brother on his back. Um, and the placard reads, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And um, I, I found a quote about this statue that I just had to, had to share today. Um, the author of the article wrote, Life has its heavy burdens. But the bearing of a brother or sister is not among them. Strangers may wear patience thin, but care of a beloved relative never burdens. The reason, there are strong family ties which bind. The same logic calls Christian men and women to treat each other as brothers and sisters, as members of the human family and of God's redeemed family. After all, we share important things in common. Basic human nature, faith in Christ, and a common eternal destination. Now it takes time. It takes time to develop the character to keep a commitment like that. It takes time to develop the sometimes the, the relational strength. Yeah. But like I said earlier, we love you. There's nothing you can do about it. So there's time. Right? I've, one, one of the biggest reasons I'm standing here today is that when I have played the role of either the holy man or the elderly widow. When I've stumbled and knocked somebody down, or when someone else has stumbled and knocked me down, I didn't hike. Yeah. I didn't turn around and run off. So, yeah, I took some space, but I didn't withdraw. Sometimes we have to contend yeah. for the victory. Sometimes we have to contend for relationship. That's right. yeah. Con means together. And tend has that same root as tension. Like you're holding on. Yes. You're not doing this. Yeah. Okay? Amen. So, what now? I have some keys for all y'all that will, my notes will be um, on the sermon page. So, note takers, you can take notes or not. First key to help us navigate all this wildness that is becoming like Christ. Grace-filled forgiveness. Because in that moment, when the holy man was brushing himself off, 
even 10 minutes after he turned around and hiked up the mountain. This was available to him. Like, um, her name escapes me, Corey Ten Boom. You may have heard the story of when she was presented with the German soldier that was responsible for the death of her, of her sister and torture of both of them while they were in the concentration camp. And he said, I've accepted Christ as my savior. Can you forgive me? And in that moment, she just looked at him and she writes in her book, she said, I prayed, Lord, I can't do it. I don't have it in me, but I can raise my hand because he was standing there with his hand out to shake her hand. She said, God, I can raise my hand, but I can't forgive him. So she raised up her hand, and she said as she did so, she felt heat and and electricity hit the top of her head and fill her entire body, and she was overwhelmed with love for this reformed torturer that stood in front of her. Grace-filled forgiveness is a gift from God, and it's not something we have to do on our own. He'll meet you. When When we seek him, we'll find him. When we ask for good things, he gives us good things. Okay? Second one, gritty, raw trust in God. Because we got to get raw. (laughs) We can't hike up the mountainside, right? So we have to trust God in real time with who we are, with our hopes, outcomes. Still a work in progress on that one for me. Because when I have my heart set on an outcome, I really can hold on to stuff I shouldn't be holding on to. I let go of relationship and I try to hold on to results. Um, but yeah, we have, to, we have to really trust God in the process and not try to take control of it. So forgiveness is necessary when people miss the mark, when we miss the mark, right? Trust in God, to expand on that marksmanship analogy, trust in God keeps us uprange. We're in North Idaho. I'm guessing that quite a few of you shoot. Okay, I grew up, my dad is a big-time hunter and marksman and and firearm safety instructor. So when we'd shoot as a family, if anything got downrange, which included dead even with the person shooting, all shooting stopped until the range was clear. And everything that wasn't supposed to be shot was behind the one with the gun, right? And uh, often we end up running downrange and planting ourselves next to the target relationally, because we're trusting people for identity, for validation. We're looking for props that we shouldn't be getting from people. Now, granted, we need affirmation from people. But God is our source. He's a source of who we are. He's a source of our value. And when we start to trust people for those kinds of things, we trot down range and set ourselves next to the target. Right? And so when they miss the mark, we can get hit. And a lot of times it takes us a couple of bullets before we're like, oh, I'm downrange. One second. <laughs> so, gritty raw trust in God is a huge key there. Okay, so number three, receive. I also struggle with this one. <laughs> um, we are really comfortable, most of us charismatic Christians, pouring our hearts out to God. Offering things to God, praise, worship, prayer, thanksgiving, time, attention, right? We're also usually really comfortable giving to others, serving like it's good, 
We should serve each other. We should love each other. We should make sacrifices for each other. There are some of us with which that whole relationship like thing stops right there. We give to others, but we have a really hard time receiving and even a harder time asking for what we need. And so receiving is so key. Because being those who only give and never receive is not the way to see the kingdom come. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The Trinity is a free flow of love. It's full relationship. It's not the Father only giving to the Son who only gives to the Holy Spirit. It's all just this beautiful oneness and unity. Excuse me. So we've got to choose to trust one another. And that can be as simple as, I was in a hurry to get somewhere and I stopped by the church and lovely Miss Jen Reynolds was here and she's like, let me pray for you. I'm like, that'd be awesome. And so I'm praying, or I'm, I'm there and I'm, she's praying for me and Holy Spirit said, Emily, receive. And I was like, that's right, I need to do more than stop. <laughs> I really took a moment to receive. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's, it's more challenging and more terrifying to receive. But we got to receive, church. All righty. And here's one of my favorite things ever, is that when we've seen the weakness, we can see the power. When I have a good friend that I've listened to about something they're struggling with, and then I see them knock it out of the park, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. And that's why we love testimony, right? Because we can show what God's done. We can show what God's done. We're so, and this is, this is pretty common knowledge now, I think, with all of the commentary that's gone on about social media and Instagram, like we compare our worst with someone else's public-facing best, right? We gotta have relationships where we don't, where we see behind that public-facing best, so that the glory of God can be released. His glory is revealed in our weakness, right? He said His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Yeah. So. On the surface, what I'm doing today may look easy. And in some ways for me it is. But that's where the glory of God comes through because me being able to stand up here and preach today is the product of over a decade of the Lord working things out in me, dismantling things and rebuilding them. And it wouldn't have been possible for that to happen in isolation. It wouldn't have even been possible for that to happen in the neatly controlled, personally regulated climate of my prayer closet. <laughs> I got you on that one, didn't I? <laughs> it happened in the gloriously messy, real context of relationships in my Jesus family here. Like, yeah. I had to be taken down to nothing and put back together again. And I don't think I'm that big of an exception to the human rule when it comes to being remade in the image of Christ. Right? So, excuse me. 
have a final word of encouragement for you all today. My slides are out of order. That's okay. We'll hit this one now. Danny Silk wrote a book called Unpunishable. It's changed my life. I highly recommend it. But he said in that book on page 188, in a family, our mistakes and messes do not disqualify us from belonging. They expose just how deeply we belong. Our, our mistakes and messes do not disqualify us from belonging. They expose just how deeply we belong. Voluntarily exposing my weakness to someone can be terrifying. <laughs> Even with people I trust, sometimes it's really hard to speak over the clamor of, but what if, what if, what if, what if, right? right? That rises up in my flesh. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. And yet, every time I've chosen to do that, the fruit from it is so good. The freedom is so sweet. I can't even begin to, to describe it. Most of you have some concept of what I'm talking about, but every time I take that leap of faith, when the Lord leads, he meets me and he gives me good things. So, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You can't do it, you can't. But we're in Christ. And he can. So closing encouragement, don't give up. Heidi Baker has that quote there at the end. If you don't quit, you win. For those of you who know her, she's this cute little blonde gadget. If you don't quit, you win. And it's so true. If you don't quit, you win. Because we're in Christ. So... It's in the challenges of relational friction that we come to see just how committed someone is. Mm. Right? That we can see that the Sunday mornings, hi, how are you? And I love you. And hugs are not empty social practices, but that they have muscle and teeth to defend the relationships that are there. That love is real. Like Like I told one of my favorite Sunday school students the other day, he this was a month or two ago. He was like, I'm so tough. And I looked at him and I said, love is the toughest thing in the universe. And he's like, <laughs> turned his seven-year-old mind inside out for a second. But Jesus just gave me that in the moment. He's love is the toughest thing in the universe. Love has muscle and teeth. And it will defend. It will defend the relational ties we have here. Let's operate in love. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 for that. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Tempted how? To judge. Oh, why did he do that? I don't know, you know. Lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Every difficulty serves to prove when we all make it to the other side, just how deeply we belong. So, grace-filled forgiveness, gritty, raw trust in God, receiving. When we see the weakness, we can see the power, and if you don't quit, you win.
Sometimes all you want to do is quit. But if you don't quit, you win. And the psalmist said it so well. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Now I can say coming from a really, really heavy orphan mindset, this verse is a, it just saved my life. <laughs> right? And there's an invitation today. Yes, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that. Because he is a father of the fatherless and a defender of widows. He sets the lonely in families and he brings them bound into prosperity. That's who he is. That's what he does. He sacrificed his only boy so that he could. So I want to invite you to do that today. You can trust him. And, uh, yeah, um, and to all of us, I want to invite you to take another step into trusting the Lord. Take another step into trusting the people around you. Come alongside someone that you see needs help. Yeah, come on. Or reach out to someone that you'd like to get to know because maybe they can help you receive, right? Um, so yeah, I, I'll pray here and then um, altar teams, if you can come forward, if anyone would like prayer. Let's go ahead and stand while I pray. Father God, <laughs> sometimes I'm so grateful for the gift of a prayer language because English just doesn't cut it. I praise you that you are a father of the fatherless, a defender of, a defender of widows, <laughs> that you set the solitary in families and you bring out those who are bound into prosperity. God, I praise you that everywhere we look in scripture, there's instruction, there's hope. And I praise you that in the household of God, we're your children. And in the kingdom of God, we're your citizens. So I pray, God, for a new encounter today of who you are and how much you can be trusted. I pray for revelation for hearts change and minds open, God, just that people will know you better and that we can know one another better and in so doing, see things on earth as they are in heaven. That's the whole point, church, so that we can live the lives that God wants us to live so that we can have the blessings. We can restore the garden here now and not, not have to live under the reign of the enemy. Yuck. So yeah, Holy Spirit, come. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.